Welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. On this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's on-life world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone. Darren with the White Hatter team, and I'm excited to be your host. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the who, what, where, when, how, and why of cell phones and our kids. We will be discussing age appropriateness, cell phone recommendations, setting cell phone boundaries, consequences to boundary breaches, problematic youth usage of cell phones, and third-party monitoring and filtering software options for your consideration. As social media safety experts and advocates and coaches who present to thousands of parents and throughout Canada and the United States, one question we are always asked is, you know, at what age do you think a child should be gifted a cell phone? We believe this question, although well-meaning in nature, really misses the point because it's not about the age of a child when it comes to a phone. Rather, it's about their social and emotional maturity and impulse control that allows them the ability to own and operate and look after a phone without direct parental supervision that really matters, no matter if the child is 6 years old or even 16 years of age. This is especially true if your child struggles with conflict, has poor impulse control, and can't honor boundaries. As Dr. Devorah Hetner, a child safety advocate, has stated, and I quote, A birthday milestone or some far-off date in the future will not ensure your child's readiness for the responsibility that comes having the entire world a swipe away. Instead, consider independence milestones, ways for your child to demonstrate readiness. Here are some milestones to consider. Can they make lunch without help? Walking home from school alone, spending a brief time home alone, babysitting a younger child for short windows of time, riding public transit independently, organized with homework. If your child is demonstrating independence in several of the above milestones, they could be ready or ready soon. If not, you can consider setting progressive milestones for your child to work towards to demonstrate readiness." Often we are asked by both teens and parents, Is there a legal age in Canada that prohibits the ownership of a cell phone? To be clear, there is no criminal law that applies to this question. However, contractual civil law does apply specific to the purchase of a cell phone contract. Given that most cell phone plans require the owner to sign a contract, each province and territory has an age of contractual consent that needs to be met to sign such a document. If your child doesn't meet the minimum age for signing a cell provider contract, you will either have to purchase a cell phone and sign the contract under your name or co-sign your child's contract. In Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, Prince Edward Island, Quebec, and Saskatchewan, the contractual signing age is 18 years. And in the provinces of British Columbia, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Labrador, Nova Scotia, the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and the Yukon, the contractual signing age is 19 years. To throw a monkey wrench into what I just said, anyone, no matter the age, can purchase a prepaid cell phone anywhere in Canada. Why? Because there are no contracts assigned specific to prepaid phones. So yes, your 13-year-old, if they have the money, can purchase a prepaid phone without a parent's consent or signature. If you're listening from the United States, each state has their own age requirement. So make sure you check with your local cell phone provider. Parenting tip. 
just remember, if you sign or co-sign the cell phone agreement, you legally own the phone, not your child. If your teen misses or is late on a payment, it could show up in a negative way on your credit report. Again, cell phones are not a right to have, they are a privilege to have when it comes to children, tweens, and teens. When we gift our kids a cell phone, it needs to be made clear that we legally own the phone and are just lending it to them with conditions attached. It is important that parents remove the sense of entitlement that many youth have specific to gifted cell phones or other digital devices that they may receive. Although we have personally seen children in grade one with smartphones, which is ridiculous in our opinion except in exigent circumstances, there is no doubt that the power of a smartphone can have a significant medical advantage to a child. As an example, a child who has type 1 diabetes that needs to be closely monitored. According to the marketing agency Influence Central, the average age of youth owning their first cell phone is around 10 years of age. According to the digital literacy group MediaSmarts, 24% of students in the 4th grade own their own phone, 85% of students in the 11th grade. It has been our experience that a child's first cell phone is often not a new device, but rather a hand-me-down phone from a parent who has upgraded to a new smartphone. Parents. It's important to know that our kids aren't using their phones just as phones to talk to somebody else. They're using their phones to text, send instant messaging, access social media sites, emailing, video chatting, video gaming, and using messaging apps. When you as the parent decide that your child is ready for a phone, it is very important that you put in place clear expectations as to how the phone will be used in and outside of the home. This also includes understanding and explaining your child's school policy about using a phone during school hours. To help, we've created something we call the Family Collective Agreement. I've placed a link in the description of this podcast. This agreement should be printed and be included with any gifted phone. One of our prime directives in our family collective agreement, a phone will not be used privately in a bedroom or bathroom for two reasons. Number one, inappropriate use. When we get involved because something bad has happened on the internet, it usually involves a youth with a cell phone in their bedroom at night with internet access unsupervised by a parent. And number two, sleep deprivation issues. This is a significant issue. In fact, in an anecdotal survey that we conducted with teens, we asked the following questions. Quote, do you sleep with your phone in your bedroom? 78% stated yes. Then we asked, do you answer messages on your phone that come through during the night? 27% of teens said yes. And then we asked, do you text at night in your bedroom with your cell phone? 40%, 46% of teens stated yes, they did. This anecdotal survey of our teen followers was recently supported by a recent 2022 study out of Australia that found, quote, of 250,000 Australian kids studied, we found 28% of 8 to 11 year olds, 57% of 12 to 14 year olds, and 80% of those age 15 and over send and receive messages and calls between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. at least once a week, end quote. Parenting tip. Another reason to get cell phones out of the bedroom, when your kids go to bed, many will actually be on their devices under the covers so that you don't see the glow of their phone until all hours of the early morning, something known as vamping, which is short for vampires, given that vampires only came out at night. A second reason to get digital devices out of the bedrooms at night, notifications such as text and status alerts on the smartphone or computer, whether audio or vibration can disrupt sleep and wake children and teens up during the night. When you implement a no phone in the bedroom rule, teens will push back, pleading that they need their phone in their room because they use it as an alarm clock. 
Here's an easy fix to overcoming this argument. Buy them an alarm clock. The one that we recommend is called the Sonic Bomb that you can find on Amazon. This clock uses a 113 decibel alarm, bright blinking LED lights, and comes with a remote bed shaker that vibrates the bed when the alarm goes off. Now, is your team going to be angry that you will no longer allow them to have technology in their bedroom at night? Yes, they will. Oh, well, that's what makes us parents. And sometimes we parents have to say and do things our kids aren't going to like. That's what makes us parents. As a friend and family counselor, Ginger Henderson shared with us, quote, when it comes to online parenting, sometimes being a child's best friend often only enables less than desirable online behavior. Remember, enabling can often equal damaging behavior. Be your child's best parent and not their best friend. There is a difference, end quote. We recommend that phones should be stored, docked, and charged in the parent's bedroom at night, rather than in a public place like the kitchen, where it can still be easily accessed by your child in the middle of the night without your knowledge. There's a number of phone charging stations that are available on Amazon to meet your family's specific needs. Also, make sure that the devices are turned off while storing and charging them in your room so that you're not disturbed by notifications that we guarantee you these devices will create at night. Recently, we helped a family where their child was so mad that their mom and dad were no longer going to allow them to keep their phones in their bedrooms that the youth programmed their phone's alarm to go off every hour on the hour, and the parents had no idea on how to turn the alarm off, which kept them awake all night. Smart kid. Parent tip. It's becoming more common that teens will use a secondary phone in the room, commonly known as a burner phone, that the parents don't know about and often obtain from a friend that allows your child to access the internet via the home Wi-Fi. This is another reason why we recommend the Griffin router. If an unknown device attempts to access the Wi-Fi, Griffin will alert you to this fact, which is a good clue to let a parent know that their child may be using a burner device, especially if alerted just after your child goes to bed. In policing, we would call this... A clue. Another question we are often asked, what type of phone should be our kid's first phone? When first learning how to ride a bike, do we buy our children the best and most expensive bike on the market? No, we don't. We often purchase a cheap bike combined with training wheels. Why? Because we expect that during the learning process, they're going to drop their bike and have some minor accidents along the way, resulting in the bike becoming scraped and banged up. The same analogy applies to a cell phone. Cell phone providers purposely make this a challenge by offering the newest iPhone or Android phone for free if you sign up with their mobile service. The catch? You need to sign up for a very expensive two-year contract. This is not something we recommend parents do for a child's first phone, especially for those under the age of 16 years. When we ask parents why they want their grade 3, 4, or 5 child to own a smartphone, the number one answer we hear? In an emergency, they can call me or I can immediately call them. We find that often giving a child a cell phone is more about a parent's convenience and peace of mind in being able to connect and keep tabs on their child 24-7 than anything else. However, with tech convenience comes vulnerability that may place your child at risk if they are not ready to have a cell phone. If the main reason to gift your child a phone is to connect with them in an emergency, then don't buy them a smartphone. For youth in grade school, maybe think about a child-designed smartwatch like the little tracker here in Canada or the Gab watch in the United States. These youth-designed watches look cool, they allow the parent to communicate with their young child via text, cell, or even video chat, and may also provide a location tracker. 
Another option, buy them a basic cell phone that can call, text, and take and send pictures. A model that we recommend to parents as a child's first cell phone, that is a flip phone, is the Nokia 3310. Parent tip. Based upon our experience, it is not uncommon that a youth with a flip phone will often be ridiculed by their peers who own actual smartphones. This is a real concern that some parents may not understand or even concern themselves with, but it can be a big deal to the child. Now, as your child starts to show good judgment and consistent social and emotional maturity with their basic communications watch or flip phone, you can now upgrade them to a basic smartphone. In other words, the digital training wheels that a child's smartwatch or a basic flip phone provides can now be removed. We always recommend a basic Android phone as the first smartphone over an iPhone. Why? Because number one, the Android phones are usually much cheaper than the iPhone. And number two, the Android phones have a greater ability to allow third-party parental monitoring apps to be installed on the phone, which the iPhone often doesn't allow. Over time, if your child shows you good judgment, consistent social and emotional maturity, and good digital literacy with their intermediate phone, then they're ready to move into a higher end and more powerful Android smartphone or even an iPhone. Another great option for upper elementary school and middle school students is the pinwheel phone. As social media safety and digital literacy advocates, we stay current on technology that is available to youth and their families when it comes to keeping the online world safer and more secure. In late 2020, we became aware of a new cell phone on the market called the Pinwheel. A link is in the podcast description. The Pinwheel is advertised to be a child's, quote, first phone that grows with your child, end quote. What we read about the pinwheel intrigued us enough to connect with the company directly to see if they would send us a phone to test and evaluate. As many of our followers know, we are big believers in don't tell us something's going to work, show us it's going to work. Sometimes things that are promised by tech vendors in their advertising are not necessarily what happens in real life. After connecting with Pinwheel, they were excited to send us their phone for our testing and evaluation. We must recognize Pinwheel for taking us up on this offer. Even though we stated that we would be brutally honest about our testing and evaluation of their product publicly, they welcomed the opportunity for us to test their phone. It has been our experience that other tech vendors have shied away from this type of critical review when we offered to do so. Now, what about the connectivity of the Pinwheel phone here in Canada? Given that we are from Canada, Pinwheel, which is a US-based company, was also very interested if their phone and services would work with cellular carriers up here in Canada. The answer to this question? Yes, it does. For the test and evaluation of the Pinwheel, we used a SIM card from a Canadian company called Public Mobile that piggybacks on the telecellular network. Connectivity was seamless with the Pinwheel when we connected with Public Mobile. Overall, the Pinwheel phone does exactly what the vendor says it does. Like an iPhone, the Pinwheel is a phone that is completely sandboxed and scaffolded with the Pinwheel's operating system, which is fully controlled by the parent. Yes, it looks and feels like a smartphone, but given the Pinwheel operating system, it's more like a smarter phone rather than a fully functioning smartphone. Think of the Pinwheel as a use-first smarter phone with training wheels. We acknowledge that the Pinwheel phone will probably be labeled as a helicopter parenting tool by its critics. Given that the ages of this phone is designed for that being preteens and younger teens, we would agree. However, in some circumstances, such a phone would be reasonable and warranted, especially with younger youth.
In our opinion, the pinwheel phone is not designed for older teens who have shown good digital literacy, digital maturity, and learned respect for the technology. It is our opinion that these older teens have often earned the privilege to possess a fully functioning smartphone where appropriate and reasonable to do so. But what about the cost of the pinwheel? When you factor in the costs of shipping, duty, phone, SIM card, and mobile carrier, a Canadian parent is looking at approximately $417 plus GST all in for the pinwheel ruggedized phone, which we recommend given its superior durability. There is also a further $19 plus GST a month access fee for the caregiver portal, which is needed to make the phone function as advertised from a safety, security, and privacy standpoint. We know that some parents are now thinking, well, if you're not going to provide your kids with a fully functioning smartphone, why not just buy them a flip phone because they're cheaper than the pinwheel phone? We agree. A flip phone is always an option, as I have already mentioned. But again, we can share with the listener, based upon our experience, it is not uncommon that a youth with a flip phone will often be ridiculed by their peers. This is a real concern that some parents may not necessarily understand or even concern themselves with, but is a big deal to the child. In our opinion, the pinwheel phone does overcome this peer perception challenge. We were very impressed with the functionality of the pinwheel phone and what it does and why it was created. Having said this, we would currently consider this a premium phone, which given its pricing in Canada. However, as the old saying goes, you get what you pay for. As a parent, if you're looking for a first phone that looks, feels, and functions like a smartphone, provides full parental scaffolded control, and you are willing to pay the costs associated with importing and possessing one here in Canada, then you will likely not be disappointed with the Pinwheel as your child's first smarter phone. For a more in-depth review on what the Pinwheel phone has to offer, check out our free web book where we speak to all the testing we did with this smarter phone. Now, parents and caregivers need to understand that much like a laptop or a desktop computer, smartphones are the keys to the digital highway that allow your child to have full unsupervised access to the internet, both the good and the bad. Given this fact, we also believe that we should also provide our kids with digital seatbelts, also known as parental monitoring and filtering software solutions. Our kids have no right to privacy from us as, a, as parents when they get their first phones. But having said this, our kids can earn their right to privacy by showing us parents good, consistent digital citizenship over time. Once our child can do this, then I recommend that monitoring software should be removed because your child has earned that right. We also recommend that parents do not use monitoring and filtering software covertly or in isolation. If a parent is going to install monitoring and filtering software, let the child know. Also, explain to the child that they can earn the right to have this software removed, but you also have the right to place it back on their phone if they breach any of the clauses in the family collective agreement. Both the Android and iPhone also have their own parental controls built in that should be turned on as well, and I have placed links on how to do this in the description box of this podcast. Remember, hardware and software are not replacements for good parenting. It is all about age-appropriate youth agency, parental modeling with our own cell phones, combined with parental participation, education, and supervision with our kids, combined with hardware and software solutions, were appropriate and reasonable to do so. We need to be our child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to keeping our kids emotionally, psychologically, physically, and socially safer, especially at younger ages, and how they're accessing the digital world until such time as they're mature enough to navigate it alone. Here are some more suggestions. Number one, 
Given that the Android platform allows parents to add third-party parental monitoring and filtering software, we recommend that you now also consider downloading the Boomerang Parenting app onto their phone. Again, you can find a link in the podcast description. Once you click on the provided link, choose Purchase Boomerang to download it onto your child's new phone. For both the Android and Apple phones, we also recommend to further layer parental oversight by considering the installation of the Griffin router in your home, combined with their mobile homebound app on your child's phone that can be put on both an Android and an iPhone. A link to the Griffin router will be in the podcast description as well. The second suggestion? To provide those under the age of 13 with a safer online experience where they can learn how to text, message, and share pictures with other family members and friends, we recommend that you also consider downloading a messaging app called Kinzu, K-I-N-Z-O-O. Again, the link will be in the descriptions of this podcast. We have worked with Kinzu, a Canadian-based company, and unlike Meta's Kids Messenger or WhatsApp, the Kinzu messaging app was built by a father with privacy, safety, and security at its foundation. They do not sell or monetize any personal information about its users to any third party. And our third suggestion, download and implement for free our White Hatter Family Collective Agreement. Again, the link is in the descriptions of this podcast. This document clearly outlines acceptable and unacceptable use of digital devices both inside and outside of the home. And once read and signed by all family members, this document should be posted in a public place in the home for all to see as a constant reminder. Now let's talk about taking a phone away as punishment. In today's online world, a phone has become the third appendage to our kids, and taking away a phone for bad behavior is like amputating that third appendage to our kids. Now, we're not saying that taking a phone away from your child is not an option. It is. But what we are saying is choose your battles carefully and don't treat every situation like a nail and hit it with a hammer, the hammer being taking the phone away. If your child was using their phone in a low-level mischievous way and you take their phone as punishment, what do you think will happen when they really are in trouble online and they need your help? Do you think they'll come and tell you? Probably not. Why? Because they're likely fearful that you will overreact and take their phone. Instead, we want you to think about an escalating scale, something like this. In a first offense, give them a verbal warning. A second offense, give them multiple chores around the home for the next week. A third offense, Give them chores, plus take their power cord. Now they have to watch their battery quickly drain on their phone without the ability to recharge. This will drive them crazy. Fourth offense, give them chores, plus take the phone and remove the SIM card or replace it with a cheap flip phone, which you can give them to use for a week. And a fifth offense, chores, and then take the phone away. Again, in exigent circumstances, the taking of a phone is likely warranted. However, if non-exigent circumstance, think about the above noted escalating consequences to actions approach. You may also want to add this incremental scale of consequences to the family collective agreement, thus making it crystal clear what will happen if your child is not being a good digital citizen with their phone. Now, let's talk about the problematic phone use by our kids. When it comes to technology, it's all about the age-appropriate and balanced approach to the online world that counts. Too much of anything is never healthy when it comes to a teen's emotional, psychological, physical, and social well-being. There are some in our industry that like to push the phone addiction narrative. In fact, there is one social media advocate that stated publicly 84.9% of teens are addicted to their phones and that, quote, phones are the most addictive thing we can give a child more so than cocaine, end quote. The same person stated giving your child a smartphone is, quote, like snorting a line of cocaine, end quote. Now, to be clear, there is no evidence-based, peer-reviewed research to support these juvenile, fear-based, moral panic statements. 
None. So what does the good research have to say? One of the best reviews of the current research surrounding the emotional, psychological, physical, and social contraindications to problematic phone use comes from a 2021 literature review article by Dr. Weinstein and a PhD candidate, Yuta Wax, called Excessive Smartphone Use is Associated with Health Problems in Adolescents and Young Adults. In the summary of this literature review, the researchers stated the following, and I quote, the excessive use of smartphones has been associated with impaired cognitive functions and mental health problems. There are unique findings on the association between using smartphones, need of constant stimulation, deficits in everyday cognitive function and brain changes which should send alarm signals to clinicians and educators in the modern world, end quote. Now, after reading the entire article, we agree with these findings with the following four caveats. The word excessive is important. Again, too much of anything is never healthy. The paper makes it clear that it's not how much time teens are spending on their phones, but rather what are they doing with that time that really matters. Number three, the paper also makes it clear that the contraindications identified are not global in nature with all youth who use cell phones. And number four, the paper makes it clear that there are studies showing changes to the brain with the excessive use of technology, but we don't yet know what the negatives or positive outcomes of these changes will be given the neuroplasticity of the brain. This is something that the multi-million dollar NIH US-based study called Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development, also known as the ABCD study, is hoping to identify in the future. Given where we are today with the good evidence-based research, we do believe that reasonable moderation and mediation of technology, including the use of cell phones, should be the goal of parents, something which we echo in all of our programs. So, what are the takeaways for parents and caregivers in today's podcast? Well, number one, remember, phones are not a right to have, they are a privilege to have. Number two, when a phone is gifted to a child, you are only lending it to him. You legally still own the phone. We need to remove entitlement once a phone is gifted. Number three, remember, rather than using age as a barometer, gifting a phone should be based upon the social and emotional maturity and impulse control of your child before allowing them the ability to own and operate a phone without direct parental supervision. Number four, setting expectations early with your child on the use of the phone and the consequences if those expectations are breached are important and why our family collective agreement can help. Number five, choose the right phone for the right age. An incremental age-appropriate adoption of technology is important from a safety, security, and privacy standpoint. Remember, these devices are the digital keys to the digital highway. Number six, do not allow a cell phone to be used or kept in the bedroom, especially at night. And number seven, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to technology. There is a difference. Are your kids going to like some of the strategies we recommended in the podcast? Nope. Oh well, that's what makes us parents. And sometimes we parents have to say and do things our kids aren't going to like. That's what makes us parents. Remember parents, you are not alone on this digital journey. We are here to help. Don't forget to check our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca and our White Hatter Facebook page where there is just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's online world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Stay strong, be that mentor and digital sheepdog, and from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And until our next podcast, have a great week, everybody. Oh,